marketing. And then the second thing is um, everybody's a marketer. Like because marketing, <laughs> is so, <laughs> because marketing is so public, right? Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. I'm your host Ian Truscott, I'm no rockstar, but with this podcast I want to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from sysadmin to CMO with the help of some true rockstars. My guests and chums who I hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. It's Saturday the 26th of August and for regular listeners, thanks for coming back after my break last week. I broke the streak after 179 consecutive weekly episodes, but now we're back. And I hope you too had a great couple of weeks and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff is away, but I have a splendid interview with a master storyteller and founder of Mavis, Delia Abusheva, before I wind down the week with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Before I get to Delia, here's a quick thought that I'm working on for my Tuesday Two Cents blog. As a content creator, you might feel all your ideas have already been written, but they don't have to be original. They just need to be trusted and convenient. Let me explain. Have you ever been looking for a new car and asked advice from a friend who knows a lot about cars? Or took the shared experience of someone who just had a home extension built as the truth about local building regulations? Or maybe seek the advice of someone you, you know and trust who seems particularly good at filing their taxes. We all do this. We ask our friends and family for advice. And yet in theory, we have the whole world of knowledge and potential access to the number one or even the number 1000 expert on whatever question or challenge we have in our hands. We are, after all, now connected. But who wants to put in that kind of work? I don't mean doing a simple Google search, we all do that, but getting the advice you actually trust through connecting with a genuine expert when your knowledgeable yet amateur car buying, extension building, tax efficient chum is right here, forming your opinion on the topic over a beer. This is a simplistic comparison, chum versus internet search. My point is, is that every day we listen and trust people that have non-original content to inform our decisions. The right mix of trust, credibility and convenience beats the work needed to find the number one expert. I hear this all the time in consulting. I was chatting to a friend over lunch who was having exact, this exact experience. They are working with a large corporation, doing the thing they have the most experience in and reputation for, and the company trusts them. They're now asking her to do more in areas where there are better qualified consultants in the world. Why? because she is both trusted and convenient. Again, trust beats being the number one expert. So if you're a content creator agonizing, as many of us do with imposter syndrome of thinking your ideas are not original, they could be to someone that trusts you. Those ideas may not have found their way to your audience because they needed someone like you that they trust to share them. That's my thought for the week. Don't worry too much about being original. Be trusted and convenient. Okay, that's quite enough of me. And if you like this sort of thing, why not look me up on LinkedIn and give me a follow? And if you'd like to connect, please mention the show so I know you're a listener. Right, it's time for my guest. This week, I had the opportunity to chat with Delia Abusheva, 
the founder of Mavis, which, as we'll discover, is a really interesting community platform that connects marketers and trusted marketing service providers and vendors through recommendations. Delia founded Mavis following a 15-year career in marketing, which, as she described to me in her bio, gave her the fortune to work alongside some of the most talented marketers out there, listening, learning and observing from various fields of this monstrous marketing machine. And as you'll hear, she has a passion for our craft, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Welcome, Delia, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited for our conversation today, Ian. Hey, it's great to have you. It's great to have you. And you come recommended from Tim Hines and his Marketing Startup podcast. So I better give a little shout out to Tim right at the beginning. Hey, right? Tim. Love Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because he's also on MPN. I was going to mention that later. He's also on the Marketing Podcast Network. Um, so, uh, Dilly, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Absolutely. Uh, so, hey, everyone. Again, I'm Delia. I am a marketer of 15 years. I'm uh, mostly in B2B. In the past 10 years, I've spent doing marketing for tech companies. And I'm typically a generalist in nature, so I have uh, a good understanding of how overall marketing machine works mm. altogether. But if I was to work for like a bigger, more mature marketing team, I would probably be on the demand gen side because right. that's where my strength uh, lies at. Uh, and about a year ago, I started my own company, Mavis, with my sister, who's also a marketer and my co-founder, which mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm going to talk a little bit more about <laughs> and share will. with the listeners <laughs> what Mavis is all about. But so, yeah, I've been in the corporate world marketing B2B for 15 years, and now mm-hmm. I've been exploring the journey of entrepreneurship. Nice. Well, we'll get onto your journey in a sec. I'm looking forward to that. But we ought to touch on Mavis, which is M-A-V-U-U-S. Really interesting idea. I had a look at this. Tell us about that. What's the idea behind that? Absolutely. So Mavis' idea was born out of my own need and out of my own experience of living and breathing a marketer's life. Mm-hmm. So as I already said, like my sister is also a marketer. And one thing we always uh, shared that was in common is the struggle of finding good quality service providers or freelancers or contractors. Mm-hmm. So we would always go back to each other to ask, hey, do you have a good writer or designer or developer? Mm-hmm. And if we ever ran out of our own roster, we would go back to our inner circle of peers to ask for recommendations. Mm-hmm. And the reality is these conversations are happening every day. It's human nature to ask for sure. recommendations that are happening on LinkedIn. They're happening via texting, emailing, DMing. Slack channels, etc. And to uh, confirm our idea, we've conducted primary research and 74% of marketers did say it's hard to find good quality providers. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, that research showed that the providers, on the other hand, also said that the existing marketplaces uh, don't really bring them good quality leads and best like business always comes through referrals. Yeah. So it just seemed like the stars were aligning. So we came up with this idea for Mavis that provides marketers in the freelance community to uh, get together and have a platform where people can recommend their favorite nice. vendors to each other. Yeah, nice. I think, it's a, I think it's a really interesting idea, like I say, and I think also you're building it on referrals, right? So it's not a, it's not a sort of a pay-to-play kind of portal. It's, it's actually the credibility comes from other people that have actually used the service and so therefore within the community and get to right and not only just people because on existing mm-hmm. marketplaces there is reviews but mm-hmm. ideally on mavis it's like potentially from someone that you know for example like um mm-hmm. i know tim and he had recommended someone and i trust him and maybe yeah, if yeah. i don't know tim I have a capability to message him on the platform and ask how his experience was, as opposed to just having like a star rating review and like yeah, random yeah. Uh, testimonials. It's kind of like coming from real people and from yeah. your peer marketers. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And um, where did the name come from? Uh, it's a made-up name because um, mm-hmm. I love made-up names. So we, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically we worked with marketing mavens. Mm-hmm. And amongst us, because it's a network, oh, nice. it's a combination yeah. of kind of like Maven us, Maven. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, I love a play on words. I love a play on um, yeah. different letters. So it's like it's just so, a word. 
Yeah, and it's so tough these days, and it's come up with an original name that people can think of that you can get the URL of that hasn't exactly. doesn't stand on somebody else. Yeah, yeah, or doesn't and somebody else hasn't got copyrighted or whatever. Yes. So that, that's cool. So that's that's Mavis. So it's basically uh, a community portal that allows individual marketers to connect with freelancers primarily, right? And and that are recommended. So I'd encourage folks to go and have a look at that. And I'll include a link obviously in the show notes. Perfect. So let's get back to you. You've had a solid marketing career for over 15 years, as you say, right? And uh, what inspired you to choose marketing in the first place? Yeah, interestingly enough, I wasn't one of those people that were like in high school and like wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I yeah. just chose uh, business because it's really practical. Uh, but then throughout my university years, I think in the second year, I also kind of like started getting back to myself. And um, I'm also quite creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to uh, leverage that skill in my um, in my future career and marketing just seems really interesting but truthfully I (laughs) thought I'm so creative that I'm gonna end up working for like an ad agency and come up with all these cool ideas I never ended up working in an ad agency not even once right kind of luckily fell into like tech software marketing Mm -hmm. which again like I find really interesting yeah Um, but that's why I fell into marketing because of the creativity skill and um i wanted to leverage that and yeah wanted to work yeah. for an ad agency which never yeah happened. i don't <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think it's too late i think you'll still get you may get your chance i, I got my maybe chance. i mean i'm yeah. not really on that journey right now but <laughs> that's true you've got a great company with me <laughs> so you don't need that but yeah and I, but i actually quite like that creativity as a marketer anyway even if you're not on the agency side in in doing the brief and working with somebody and your creativity still comes through doesn't it because you've got to be creative in the copy or the brief that you're giving somebody else I, mean, I, I think that's that's fun isn't it I just oh, definitely. I mean I, I've used, yeah yeah my no you carry on quite a lot yeah 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 I mean I just I just um was helping with a storyboard for a video for, with an agency just little things like that and you, it's just so fun isn't it so so it's the creativity that got you into marketing then yes yes that's yeah, yeah. what and it was so, and, and again like oh yeah. sorry go ahead <laughs> no, no, I don't want to interrupt you. You're the guest. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so uh, because we, we do talk a bit about creativity on the podcast as well. And I think it's an important part of, of marketing as well. Now, you mentioned your sister's also a marketer. And I didn't know it's mm-hmm. on LinkedIn that you guys went. So is she, mm-hmm. she, dare I ask, is she older, younger? Did she influence that decision? <laughs> to get into marketing? <laughs> yeah. She's a little bit older, a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, it's kind of like unknown for some reason. I have yeah. this um, like idea that I'm the one who kind of fell into marketing <laughs> and she kind of followed that, even though she's older and might not be possible. But those kind of talk about it. It's kind of unknown who influenced who and maybe, I don't know, maybe like it was like it. a joint journey. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And actually, when I did the intros, I didn't mention you're actually in Toronto, aren't you? Um, yes, where, I'm in where you're based. You're, you're, and one of the things I, I should mention, actually, because you mentioned it on LinkedIn, I'm going to talk about a couple of things I picked up from you on LinkedIn. And um, you mentioned your accent and a little bit about your your background. You're obviously yeah. not originally from Toronto. So where are you yeah. from? Uh, so originally I'm from Kazakhstan mm-hmm. um, because it used to be part of Soviet Union. I speak Russian, so that's my oh, wow. uh, yeah. mother language. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what I talked about on LinkedIn about, like, yeah. because I came to Canada when I was 14. Yeah. Um, like I kept my accent, which I never minded until the yeah. time that <laughs> it was brought up that apparently can work against me in a, wow. in a corporate world. Hey, yeah. Um, yeah. it happens. You seem to be doing all right. Share that <laughs> experience <laughs> yeah. with LinkedIn and just like yeah. um, get those thoughts and stuff. But yeah, cons- all, all things considered, I think I'm doing, I think I'm doing. Oh my God, well. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's funny because um, my, my, my two daughters spent like three formative, three, four formative years in the US and one of them just picked up the accent immediately and there's, and, and, and we, we've been back quite a while and it's still there, you know. So it's funny with people with accents, the way that we pick them up and then sometimes we lose them and sometimes they stay. So I think it's, that's fun. Anyway, sure. not, let's, sure. let's move on from accents. We can move back to LinkedIn though and on more of a serious topic because, again, something I saw you talking about. Um, I was really interested in this because you've had that 15 years and mostly in demand gen, as we know that demand gen is mostly working with sales and 
again, it's a hot topic on this podcast about the relationship with sales. What have you learned in your career about the the relationship with sales? And what's your advice for marketers in how to make that work? Because sometimes we're a bit oil and water and it doesn't always work and, and everybody's talking about the relationship with sales. What's your secret? Yeah, yeah. I've spent quite a a few years working very, very closely with sales. And I think every yeah. marketer should because it makes you understand uh, what happens to those leads when you uh, pass them on. Uh, what I found is that, first of all, the uh, the typical conversation where like sales say like uh, the leads are not enough or not good <laughs> enough, the quality isn't that good. And the marketers Never. just the marketers say like, hey, you're not following up on them. What are you doing? Yeah. I feel like just getting used to that conversation, not taking it personally, like that conversation yes. is as old as time. Yes. Kind of like it is what it is. But what yeah. I found to be key is the constant communication being top of mind in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do ever take the time to get to know the world of a sales rep, they're typically chasing close ideal because mm. either they're commissioned on it or whatever the case is their goal is always closing the deal so yeah. whenever that's on the line they're rarely gonna make the time to go kind of follow up on those i don't know somewhat mediocre maybe yeah. webinar leads and yeah. it's just like not top of mind but i find that being in front of them on a weekly basis even for like 15 minutes half an hour just constantly reminding them that like mm. hey there are these leads or there's this campaign this is what um, we talked about last week sort of like keeping things top of mind all mm. the time and then following up with them regularly is what i find is the key that way you can kind of like follow up all the time and yeah. keep that relationship um keep that relationship fresh i guess yeah, no, I like that. So, so, so that your secrets there are empathy and communication, right? Basically, is understand the the job they need to do, and also just yeah. keep reminding them, hey, <laughs> we've got these other leads. When you've got over that really fantastic thing you're working on right now, there's more over here. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. And again, it's kind of like also becomes a habit. Like once yes. you start yeah. doing that, and once you. Yeah start sharing things they kind of also get into a habit of regularly hearing from marketing and it yeah. becomes a habit of um you know getting those leads and getting to them or leaning into a campaign that we're doing and just kind of like making it a habitual thing versus yeah, yeah. getting together with them once a month which i find to be kind of ineffective yeah. Well, the other thing is through that communication, you learn what they consider to be a exactly. good lead, don't you? And then you can set the appropriate level of targets. I mean, you exactly. can say, well, I've created 15 great MQLs today. And they can say, well, no, 10 of them were rubbish, you know. Exactly. And, well, obviously, they're always going to say the leads are weak, <laughs> right? As you pointed out. But at least you'll get to understand a little bit about what they need. So I think that's, exactly. that, so that's great advice. That's great advice. Um, back to um, Tim, who we mentioned at the beginning. I was listening to your interview with him on the Marketing Starter podcast, uh, another drop of his podcast mm-hmm. name um and um what i was surprised but what, what i liked actually and i was surprised by and we've just been talking about it is that your favorite part of marketing is actually demand generation uh, which you mentioned and you said you love demand generation i expected tim to jump on that and and seize on it so so i, I want to take that opportunity to ask you what is it that you love about demand generation i think what i love about it because demand gen is kind of everything uh, mm. entailing generating that demand demand gen is not just email it's not just um form capturing it's not just a webinar like demand gen really captures uh the entire marketing and like Mm. and when you understand that i think a lot of marketers would like demand gen a lot more demand gen is everything even like marketing communication would fall into demand gen because you're literally like generating yeah, demand yeah. for the company it just depends where they are in a, in a funnel events are demand gen as well so to yeah. me demand gen is kind of everything in wow. marketing uh it's just having that ability to be able to you know see the funnel how they're uh, moving down the funnel uh, where they're possibly stopping, where they're possibly mm-hmm. falling off. It's the ability to kind of illustrate that and have that uh, have that understanding. That's what demand gen is. Um, yeah, and that's 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 why I love it. I also love, I, like I said, like I am creative, but also I have the analytical yes. uh, mind in me. I was always yeah. really good in math, so I think that's 
another part where I love Dimension is because you can be like creative with all your campaigns mm-hmm. and leverage leverage the channels, but then you can also go and analyze the you know a lot um, on all the different like performance metrics and seeing like mm-hmm. where things are operating, what your conversion rates are. Uh, you can compare again. I'm kind of like a nerd when it comes to yes. that, so I yeah, enjoy yeah. that quite a bit. I'm a huge believer in believer in benchmarking like i feel like before you start to do anything in marketing you should benchmark where you're at right now so you know where how you're performing later but yeah like there are many many things to love about dimension i think it's just more what you how you think of dimension yeah no i really like that and i mean i I, you know i run a team like 20 odd marketers and and then, well, I have a demand gen team and I always describe them as like the tip of the spear. You know, I mean, they're, I'm not going to tell the rest of the marketing team that they're the most important people in the business, but that's where we're going to make a difference, isn't it? Right. It's, where we, it's where we create demand. Now, obviously, creating brand value and all the other things we do are also great, but that's when it matters, doesn't it? When you demonstrate that marketing matters is when you create demand. So I think that I, I can understand why you want to be there, particularly if you're creative and you love math, then that seems perfect and um so uh so that's that's and you've you've spent have you spent the whole of your career in demand and that's where you've made your that's where you made your mark primarily yeah, yeah i mean i've also yeah. been on smaller teams where i would be yeah. leading a team but yeah. uh primarily that that's where my strength is at yeah yeah no i like that so now flipping back to mavis because mm-hmm. what i'm interested in here is that it's all very well doing all this demand gen when you when you're when you're in a b2b company and you're working in a large team as an entrepreneur and i found this when i was um when i was doing my own thing demand gen and business development is like ugh. <laughs> you know i'd rather be doing the work than than doing the business development how do you find transferring those skills your demand gen skills to when it's when you're your own client, if you like, or your own boss. Right. Um, so I found like, I, and I actually noticed this difference quite um, quick once I started mm. marketing for my own company versus marketing for when I was working for um, corporate. Yeah. Um, I've started incorporating storytelling into our mm. demand gen efforts uh, pretty quickly because I guess Mavis is still fairly uh, small. We found it with my sister, so like two female founders. We have this uh, great visual brand that it's all pink, and we do a really yeah. good job of like branding that with our own photography, etc. Storytelling is big part of how we do demand gen for Mavis by sharing our own sort of like personal entrepreneurial journey of you know being first-time entrepreneurs um how we're doing it how we've left our jobs how we're um handling things how we're overcoming Mm. roadblocks etc i find that human to human connection works really well and people are leaning in way more versus Mm -hmm. when you're just talking about your product features another webinar another like thought leadership thing so i drastically kind of found uh the difference between typical b2b corporate marketing versus like when i'm doing things on my own now obviously it's a lot easier i don't have to ask for a lot of (laughs) we want to do things and i don't have to jump through hoops to you know pick a name to pick a color for our brand to how we tell a story to what level do we get personal um but again like i find that if B2B companies can find a way to get more personal and to get more human in their communication, there would be a lot more engagement from a customer end yeah. versus just just like typical social posts from B2B tend to be kind of sound all the same. If they would somehow would find a way to humanize a lot mm. more, uh, there would be a lot more engagement. Yeah, I I um. Yeah, no, we could just do twenty minutes on that. I love, I love that. I love, I love what you're saying there, and and I, I also like the fact that you've you've got this opportunity now to to really ex- express your own marketing right. smarts, right? Because it's your own thing. Whereas right. when you're in a corporate environment, it is difficult. And mm-hmm. and and B two B is, I mean, I'm trying to make the change in our own organ. If I'm honest with you, in our own organization, stop talking about features and functions and start talking about 
the customer and the pain they have and the aspirations they have and what they want to achieve, not what we want to, not mm-hmm. what we have, right? So, and that's, um, that's just, that's the same old story, isn't it? B2B everywhere. So I think it's nice that you're able to, and the other thing I was thinking as well is, is I think that you need to take a human to human marketing approach with your product because that's exactly what it is, right? Exactly. It's a human to human product. Yeah. So I, like I just find it also interesting going back to like corporate B2B, mm. like the B2B sales reps really clearly understand that uh, mm. sales are done via one on one or like yeah. human to human relationships. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that there is a, yeah. such a thing as like in person meetings. Uh, we take customers for dinners. We meet them at a mm. conference. There's just a human-to-human mm. connection. But I just feel like B2B marketers haven't necessarily found a way <laughs> to humanize their communication. It's all still sounding very B2B. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, less human. yeah absolutely. And I, we do worry, I do worry that we're going to go on about this for 20 minutes because it's a great topic. I love this topic. Um because uh, exactly what you're saying, I think it's because it's almost like a template, isn't there? If you're a B2B is, yeah. marketer, this is how we operate. We get on the hamster wheel and this is how we roll. This exactly. is what we do. And this is what our competitors do. Let's look at them. Let's do that. Exactly. I love it. Thank And <laughs> like I say, one of my favorite topics. Could go on about it all afternoon. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to our final questions and just next the time. Um, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Zoom Pool, our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake hole and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in there? I would say my like least like favorite thing about there's probably two Mm -hmm. uh, about b2b marketing i would say the first thing is um kind of kind of like mentioned and jokingly in the beginning about the sales guys like that uh it's hard to take credit in marketing for the bottom line Mm -hmm. uh pipeline right because it's b2b the final sale is always made with a sales rep and marketing attribution in b2b which is also one of my favorite topics is (laughs) very hard like i'm yet to find a marketer who like nailed it 100 percent because the journey is so complex and long sometimes it takes years sometimes it's um it's hard for marketers to prove our Mm. volume and to tie that attribution um as like one-to-one um that's where like the lead had started so i would yeah. say, say this is my least favorite thing about uh yeah. b2b marketing and then the second thing is um everybody's a marketer like because marketing, <laughs> so, <laughs> because marketing is so public right it's like we <laughs> do such hard work and for yeah. some reason I guess for known reasons, it's for the world to criticize. Like everybody yeah. chimes in to like down what the headline should be, what the banner should be. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm not chiming in on like how I don't know product development should work yeah. or like how finance should work yeah. because I don't really know much about it. But for some reason, <laughs> I think because marketing is fun, that's why when people want to chime in, and I know they yeah. mean it with good intentions, but sometimes it tends to be a little annoying. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm surprised that nobody's. Ch- I mean, I've, I, this is like the 180th episode. I'm surprised somebody hasn't already chucked that in because. I was just having this conversation at lunch. <laughs> I think it's it's what we all feel as marketers. I think it's perfect. Thank you very much. So thank you very much, um, Delia. What, um, but when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you and where are they going to find Mavis? Yeah, absolutely. So you can literally join Mavis by going to mavis.com, which is M-A-V-U-U-S.com. And you mm. can read about it there and join the platform. It only takes a second is free to join so mm-hmm. i encourage you to do that and i would also encourage people to connect with me personally on linkedin this is where i share not only the mavis journey but like my first time entrepreneur um journey and like how how it's going and what my reflections are how i'm finding the being an entrepreneur versus you know working in corporate before yeah, so yeah. i encourage people to connect with me on linkedin i think ian can provide that link and yeah okay. i love connecting with people so i hope um we get to interact more on that community yeah you, you share a great deal on linkedin i think and, and then not the normal tiny post read this you actually share quite a lot <laughs> and and you're you're actually dilia a on linkedin if people find you a d-i-l-y-a 
A, aren't you? On there. So anyway, that's been great. Thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to catching up. I think some of these other topics I think we're going to need to go into again if you come back. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. There is much to talk about. Thank you so much, Ian. This was enjoy, really fun. Thank yeah, you enjoy the rest of your show. day. Enjoy Toronto. And um, good luck with Mavis. And I'll speak Thank to you, you soon. Thank Cheers. you. We'll keep in touch. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Delia. I very much enjoyed that conversation. And I will, of course, include all the links we refer to there in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Thank it's you. a, it's been a, it's been a strange uh, week since we last got together here in the bar. Um, it, it's well, it's you know, been we've two had weeks because I took holiday. Well, yeah, I week, I yeah. know it's been two weeks. Of, yeah. uh, see, I I keep thinking you're trying to keep up the sort of you know suspension of disbelief here um, <laughs> with, with the whole timing here but but oh no you're going to be transparent and honest and uh, i think i think if, if people are if, if people are good enough to listen they might have noticed the pod well i hope the people noticed no do i hope well i hope the people noticed the podcast wasn't there last week otherwise i haven't got any listeners <laughs> that's right that's right yeah, it will it couldn't be any more british of you to be so transparent and honest right um, and apologize in advance for your absence <laughs> Um, in any event, it's been, yes, it's been a couple yes. of weeks since we've been yeah. in the bar together. And, yeah. uh, you know, of course we had the amazing weather situation mm. here in Southern California yeah. where we had, uh, simultaneously a hurricane hit <laughs> the Southern Cal, which is just unheard of mm. and exceedingly rare. The last time we yeah. had a tropical storm hit Southern California was 1939. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, insert climate change message here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then beyond that, in the middle of all of this, we had an earthquake. Um, really? And so in the middle of the rainstorm on Sunday, <laughs> we get a, a 5.0 earthquake that shakes the Southern California region. So everybody's wow. calling it the hurricane here. Um, and so that's what I have tonight um, for, our, for our drink in the bar. We're calling it the hurricane, right. um, which is based on your classic hurricane cocktail so yes okay. it's a rum drink for those of you who know mm-hmm. the hurricane cocktail so we have uh two ounces of light rum for the uh for basically the uh the the hurricane aspect of it and then we add two ounces of dark rum for the earthquake part of it so you know <laughs> a little earth and sea there if you will um and then you add your passion fruit juice or your ju- whatever juice blend you'd like but passion fruit is more traditional yeah. for a hurricane yeah. um and then if you add a little bit of uh lime to it for that sort of good citrus taste mm-hmm. um a lot of people put in grenadine syrup into this and of course as i'm you know very very well known now on this show anyway i don't like <laughs> the simple sugars in my no. cocktail so i think the juice is fine without yeah. the syrup in it but then you just add fruit as you like right whether you like an orange slice or a maraschino tr- cherry or whatever makes it sort of fun and tropical for you yeah. um basically shake all that up and then fill it into a cocktail glass with ice uh squeeze the lime over the top of it and you have obviously a very it's a drink you know you should probably have an umbrella with it um, but <laughs> basically yeah that is yes and and then and and the shaking of course is for the earthquake um and wow. so yeah you do all of that and you've got a wonderful tropical drink to enjoy while you're in the middle of a hurricane as well as an earthquake <laughs> well i was thinking like sharknado there i thought everything was coming your way but you've got you got to think you got to think when that's happening around you you must think somebody's offended the big man there mustn't you it's like oh my god we've got a hurricane and an earthquake at the same time well that's what everybody was saying was you yeah. know i, I mean it was the, it, this the uh, and i just said no this is california giving everybody just a big old smooch <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Well, it might be uh, it, it, we might have had a break, but uh, what we're not going to take a break from is my usual desktop bar and, uh, and my usual joke, which is I will attempt to make that very drink just using the ingredients of my desktop bar. So I shall start off with the most English of rums, 
which mm. will be, oh, I'm dropping things here, which of course we all know is Hendrix Gin. And then the lovely people at Fever Tree have knocked together the perfect mixer for this using the most English of passion fruit, which is of course the cucumber. And here we go, a little bit of cucumber tonic water. I think they're, I mean, this is going to be almost exactly the same drink, isn't it? Robert? Yeah, I think it's going to be very close. Pretty much, yeah. I don't see a lot of the uh, tornado, but let's give it a try. Mmm. That is delicious, Robert. And what are we calling this? We call that the Hurricane. The Hurricane. I love it. Yes. I, I could drink one of these every week. And I, I'm assuming that um, if we're going to have them, if we're going to have them where intended, we're going to have to hang on to something or be under a doorway or whatever it is that we do when a quake happens. Or are you going to choose somewhere a little bit more peaceful for these drinks? Well, interestingly, I think uh-huh. we, yes, we should go somewhere tropical, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we should go somewhere where it is sort of un, let's call it uh, unconventionally tropical which um, really these days is the south of London. Um, I find that, um, you know, it's really (laughs) sitting along the Thames um, these days feels a bit like you're in the middle of Fiji or the Amazon or something um, with the way the weather has been there. So um, you mean it's been raining, but we have had some sunshine. I think that's 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 the definition of tropical. Yeah, that's That's right. right. You had a bit of the tropical summer. That sounds nice, actually. Very nice in the English countryside and and by by a lake. So so we're punting along, I guess, doing something of that nature uh, because we're classy. Um, And the conversation turns from the weather that you've just come from. Uh, to marketing. What's our topic for this week? What's your thoughts? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about beliefs um, and Ooh. specifically institutional uh, beliefs. Um, it was interesting. So last week, um, a friend of ours, somebody you know just as well as I do, uh, mm. Dean Barker, oh, um, yes. a, uh, a very thoughtful guy yeah. that I really like, he and I found ourselves on a webinar together, and uh, Dean is of Optimizely. He works for Optimizely yeah. as their, I don't know what his official title is. It's like, Strategy or something, you know, yeah. jazz hands guy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and um, he's a really uh, wonderful thinker when it comes to the management of digital content. And he pointed out something that was really interesting, and it got me thinking, and enough to write something about it in a way, which was... He pointed out that businesses and especially marketing teams, we spend so much, basically an inordinate about time thinking about what happens to the right of the publish button, basically in the process. And said it another way, honestly, it's that marketers spend way too much time worrying about content performance and the distribution and the outcomes and not nearly enough on how they actually arrived at the publish button to begin with. Yeah. Um, and we we've talked about this many times before, but you know, one of the things that it, it, it really brings up for me is these an- antiquated ideas that still pervade the business, even in 2023, right? So one content marketing is still considered some separate, more tactical piece of quote unquote, real marketing or two marketing measurement is like regarded as this proof of life, right? You know, it's proof of life to justify spend rather than as insight into how we develop better relationships with our audiences. And then three, businesses view content as kind of an attribute of everybody's job rather than a institutional strategic process that requires dedicated resources and, and, and processes. And it reminds me of something that, again, we talked a little bit about on this show, is that even in 2023, when we look at this, the answer to all of that seems to be technology, right? I mean, this. Mm-hmm. so when we, we talked about on the show, the CMO Gartner uh, spend survey, um, and it's fascinating to me, they found that 75% of marketers say this whole, that there's a downturn in productivity, right? It's really hard to get um, productivity up right now um, because it, it's just, it's really difficult right now because marketers are so busy trying to create all these ideas and use technology and focus on performance and distribution and all these channels and everything. But yet, so this downturn puts the CMOs under pressure to cut technology spending because they're so busy working on technology, you know, despite, by the way, the onslaught of AI here, 
But yet that same group of CMOs say the biggest new investment that this year is going to bring is, yeah, wait for it, technology. And so (laughs) here we are, we're falling behind. Marketers are falling behind in creating content because they're spending too much time trying to use technology to do what? Keep from falling behind in creating content. (laughs) And so instead of adding a more structured process to the left of the publish button, we're sort of focused on everything that happens to the right of it. And it gets to this book that I read 10 years ago and very happy to say that I became a bit of a friend of the author because I loved this book so much. It's called The Business of Belief. Um, And the guy, Tom Asacker, who's just a really smart guy, he actually, uh, we talked about this. We actually, because this is not a new problem, right? This is something that has been around forever. Yeah. And we talked about this idea of change and how you get new processes in and how you change the belief of the organization of those three things that I just talked about. Mm -hmm. And he said, you can't. It's this human nature problem that, you know, we've created all of this stuff, like how our minds work and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and we believe in the business that it's like a computer, right? That basically you just change the programming. And of course, it doesn't do that because we rewrite our programming every day, all day, all the time. And it's so common, right? You know, you've experienced this. I know Mm. you walk into a company, Mm. we build a business case for treating content strategically, creating a process for creating it and a roadmap for that change. And we walk out the door and nothing happens. And it's not that it was anybody's fault. It's just life happened. Basically, you know, it's like a computer program. We just rewired ourselves to go back (laughs) to the old way of doing things. And it's not that the people didn't care. It's that the institution doesn't care. And so ultimately, you have to create this new belief um, that you can actually create this new thing in order to start to pay attention to this idea. In the, we were in the webinar and, um, and Dean basically said, you know, look, there's this belief in companies that you can't manage what you can't measure. Yep. And you, so you end up calling this creative process, you know, because you can't sort of measure it, you know, sort of what happens to the left of the publish button, this creative, weird process. You call it magic, basically. <laughs> I don't know. We have ideas and stuff happens, yeah. right? And Dean called it the romantic lie that we all tell ourselves. And of course, you can measure creativity. You can measure production. You can measure it as a standardized process because media companies do this all the time. And so we have to start looking at ourselves more like a media company would and how they measure the creation, the management process of creating consistent content to what happens up until the publish button. And then, of course, that makes everything that happens to the right of it so much easier to measure oh, i love that i love this idea of the left and right of the publish button by the way as well and, and also dean is so is, is so good as you say firstly is that webinar available on demand and who who, who... i believe it is yes through cmi i believe you can oh, get is it to from it CMI? Yeah. it wasn't an optimizely uh, uh podcast uh, uh webinar or was it sponsored by them it was uh sponsored by optimizer yes yeah, indeed yeah, yeah yeah okay so i'll include a link to that in the show notes because um, for listeners who don't know Dean, um, people know you because they've listened to you, but he's he, you're right, he's a really bright bloke. And I think that, that sounds, you two together on a webinar sounds fantastic. So I would definitely choose. Well, he was, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really the two of us. It was mostly him. And, and his, <laughs> it was, his presentation was, was delightful. I mean, it was really delightful. Are you I, sure I do recommend it highly, yeah. I, th- I think there's that Scottish blood in you coming out where you're self, self-effacing there. I think you're, you're as bad as I am there, mate. So I'm sure you agree. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I also, I like that. But the other, um, and also this book, the business of belief i mean you've recommended to me a whole bunch of books i don't remember you mentioning that one so i'm gonna have a look at, look for that but that's that's absolutely yeah it's 2013 that, or 20 2013 or 2014 i think that that book yeah. came out um it's not a long read it's a it's a pretty short read and tom's a good writer and it's very mm. casual and it's quick um but it's really a lovely book it's yeah. it's it's you know it's much more of a lean back book than it is a lean forward book but yeah. it's 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 great yeah i like that and the and also the, this whole like i mean it could apply it applies to a lot of things doesn't it in marketing and business in in what you were saying is is the, those ingrained institutionalized views and processes uh, that you have to change when you when you because 
you know, we are we are change agents in, in marketing quite often, aren't we? In an organisation, we're trying to move things along. So that sounds that sounds really interesting. Now, what was what what was the conclusion there? How do we change that shift from the right of the publish button to the left? What, what was what were the what were some of the things you were coming out with there? Well, you know, it, it was interesting because what. What Dean was arguing for in his in the webinar and mm-hmm. talk about it was basically looking at it, and he used a lot of examples from media, from modern media, uh, including things like you know in the U.S. here Saturday Night Live and the way that they go to market with their show every week when it's in season, and and, and so on and so forth, and how much process there is in that creative process, right? How much, yeah. how much ideation and process and governance is in the creativity. It's not just a magic black box that you go, I don't know, we'll figure it out on Monday, right? <laughs> yeah. And and so it, it's interesting that how much of that is is certainly missing. And so the answer is elusive for mm-hmm. sure because unfortunately really, you know, because again, it's not about the people. People will agree. Mm-hmm. Individuals will agree and they go, yes, I want to put more process around this. I want to put more governance around this. I want to put more, you know, sort of, um, you know, a structure into this idea of how ideas turn into words, turn into pictures, turn into digital assets. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that the institution, the company doesn't believe things. And we so rarely ask what does the company believe? Like, what yeah. does the organization believe yeah. in this? What's the conventional wisdom here yeah. that we need to change? And ultimately, what it really comes down to is how do we create something new and around what's old, yeah. um, and and try and replace the you know replace the old with what's new rather than trying to change the old. Yeah, I just had the Seth Godin expression in my head there. People like us do things like this. And it's like people that work here do things like this. It's almost, isn't it? It's that institutional, this is how things are done here. No, I don't agree with that that's how it is as a person, but that's just the way things are done around here, right? It's that, isn't it? Yeah, as I mean, one of, my, one, of my, one of my colleagues, I love what he said here. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate circumstance, but I love what he said here. He worked for a really big company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he said is, he said, in marketing, especially in a siloed, multi-global marketing organization it's not what you do it's what they think you do Um, (laughs) you said that to me before i love that (laughs) yeah and it's true yeah it's absolutely true it it, you are valued by what the business thinks you do not by what you actually (laughs) yeah especially today and even in the in a smaller organization the world of remote work right it's it's totally it's totally that's right i think that 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 has got to be the thing that we that we that we finish on that so and that's by by the way that's neither good or bad right it can be good in some cases Mm. that they think you do stuff that is really (laughs) magical and hard and you like i don't know i'm just making you know i'm just doing this stuff but then there's the stuff that's like you work your butt off and they don't believe that you actually do that. Yeah, and then you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is actually difficult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's And that's probably more the case, isn't it, in marketing in that second bit. They just think that we're, uh, we're we've just got the crayons out and we're doing the brand stuff, whereas there's an awful lot of shifting of data and shit going on in the background that we're uh we're, that they don't realize so yes I, yeah I, well you know i mean a perfect example of yeah, this we yeah. you know we worked with a company not long ago we worked with a company and they basically said you know we said how do you you know we went and actually did the audit on the process we one of our parts of our consulting is to always look at the you know, what we call a process audit right yeah. like how does how does shit really get done right <laughs> yeah. you know not how the business thinks it gets done but how does it really get done and so Something simple like translation management about how content gets out to regional offices, right? Mm. And and so we went and did this thing where we talked to the marketing manager there, and it's one person who has a junior level person, and they just go, they just you know throw darts at a <laughs> at a, at a wall and go, this pot, this content piece should be good. Why don't we do that one? Ooh, that one had a good headline. Why don't we send that one? And then they just wrap it all up into Excel spreadsheet and email that to the regional offices with links and say, here you go, do it with, with what you will. Uh, I, I you bring that to the senior leadership of the company and you go, this is the process for that. Like, yeah. I don't even know that I'd call it a process, <laughs> but this is how it gets done. 
and senior leadership goes and goes, meh, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, it's not the way it says it in the manual, but okay, that's the way it gets done. It's like, no, you have to care that this is stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I fear that that's now been said out loud and is out in the world, and most people believe that's what happens anyway, right? So <laughs> people would be, well, here's the thing. People would be amazed uh-huh. at how ass backwards some of the biggest companies on the planet <laughs> are in the way that they get content from idea out to the website. I love that. Ass backwards. Such a great point. So um, when people aren't looking for ass backwards content and uh, <laughs> it's well thought out ideas, where might they find those? Robert? Well, they'll find it on our brand new, shiny new, I've <laughs> been saying I don't know how for how many weeks now that we've been working Yes. As cobbler's kids on our on our website, but the shiny new website at contentadvisory.net. Splendid. And I have it in front of me, and yes, it is shiny and it is very new. So yes, I would encourage people to go take a look at that. Um and when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to connect with you, where will they find you? They'll find me mostly on LinkedIn these days. Um mm-hmm. I'm bemused at uh <laughs> Elon's ability to rebrand Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um because he can't even get the media to say it right so uh, it's it's fascinating to me but so i'm on twitter or what is known as x or formerly known i mean it's like the prince sort of thing but um yeah i'm not uh but i'm not um i'm not nearly as active there and um yeah linkedin is my choice cool and um how's the because the book comes out really soon doesn't it i mean how's that going uh the book comes out on the 26th um of september and so it's coming along well. We're busily trying to get some marketing and stuff like that. It'll be a, yeah. I'm going to try for a Jubilee launch, right? Where we launch a content marketing world and then it'll come nice. out through the following week into the early part of uh, uh, November yeah. or excuse me, October. Nice. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, I'll include because it's already available for pre-order. So I'll include the pre-order link in the show notes. Indeed. All right, mate. And most important to me, will you be in the bar next week? I will indeed. All right, mate, I'll see you later. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Love that idea of what happens to the left and the right of the publish button. So that's a wrap on episode 180 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Delia and Robert for sharing their experience and insights. And you can find all their links and the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your podcasting app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the marketing studio and I believe we'll be chatting about field marketing. And of course, Robert will be in our virtual bar and I have no idea what he'll spin on me. But I do hope you'll again join us here on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.